This is a podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Trenton, Michigan, a gospel-centered community seeking to glorify God by making, maturing, and multiplying disciples. For more information, check out fpchurch.com. For our scripture readings today, uh, first we'll begin in the New Testament, in the Gospel of Luke, and then we'll turn to our sermon text, which is in the Old Testament, it's Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. So first we look at Luke chapter 1, and there's two sections of this uh, chapter that we'll look at. First is Mary's Magnificat, or song of praise, and her response in hearing the news uh, that she would be the one who would give birth uh, to the Savior. And so let's hear her song of praise in verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And then just a few verses down. Uh, Also in Luke chapter 1, verse 67, we hear Zechariah's response uh, as uh, John has been born and his praise uh, for what God has done. Zechariah's prophecy, and his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And then we turn to the Old Testament and our our text this morning, Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Good morning. I have to admit, Christmas carols and the season of Christmas is one of my favorite times of year. 
There's a richness in the hymns of those Christmas songs, and there's a reminder of the fact that Christ is the fulfillment of Scripture, the fulfillment of prophecy and our hope. And so just before we dive into this Isaiah 9 passage, which we continue to work through, um, let's just take a moment and pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, and as we gather in your house, as we gather as your people, Lord, we know that we truly have peace. We have peace in a world that is afflicted with all kinds of nightmarish uh, existence, but we have peace because of Christ. We have peace, Father, because of your love in sending your Son. We have peace because of the Holy Spirit who resides in us. And Lord, we are thankful for this peace. We look across the land and we see the terrors of of anger. Uh, We see the terrors of violence. We see the way in which people treat people. And Lord, yet we know that you are king over all. That you are sovereign and that you will judge all sin. And that Lord, while that should threaten us, we know that we have been saved because of the gift of Christ, the Prince of Peace. And so, Lord, we are thankful for the gift of Jesus. We're thankful for salvation. We're thankful that we can have peace even in the midst of the storm, the storms of our life. And, Lord, there are many. There are storms of emotion. There's storms of physical needs. There's storms of spiritual concerns. And yet, through them all, we can have peace because of the victory that is provided in Christ. And so, Lord, we pray now that we would see from Scripture the good news of the gospel, that we would hear with our ears and receive in our hearts this truth of the hope that we can have. We pray this now in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. I stated last week that we are moving through uh, the focal point of Isaiah 9, which is four titles, and we're focused on the second title of this child. Let me ask you a question. What do all these names, do you think, have in common? Hannibal, Genghis Khan, Attila the Hun, Julius Caesar, William Wallace. What do all those names have in common? Those names are viewed as some of the world's most mightiest warriors. Mightiest warriors. This list contains a wide range of individuals, some that are conquerors, some that were defenders, But one thing is clear, they all possessed military might, military strength. Yet none of these, none of these individuals can be compared to the promised one of Isaiah 9. He's described there in his second title as the mighty God. The mighty God. This week as we dive into Isaiah 9 and we look at this specific title, the mighty God, we will see how He, our provision, is our provision who provides both protection and peace. Let's take a look. The provision of the mighty God. Why this title? Why is He called mighty? Why is He called God? The term mighty God is one who provides for His people. Again, He provides protection, but He also provides peace. We'll look at those two later, but again, I want to draw your attention to who is provided. Who is it? According to Isaiah 9, this is a child, a child who would be born. Look there at the text, Isaiah 9, verse 6. It says, For unto us a child is born, 
Unto us a son is given. The description is the government shall be upon his shoulders. And then it lists his name. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. His name shall be called Mighty God. His name shall be Wonderful Father. His name shall be Prince of Peace. The phrase Mighty God. What is meant by the title Mighty? But powerful. Strength. The idea is captured there of one who is powerful. And yet captured with that is the title God. Deity. The Holy One. This child, therefore, in Isaiah 9, verse 6, would have divine power. This child would be the all-powerful one. For a moment, just sit in that. The all-powerful one would be the one who is promised to come in the form of a child. Upon him would the authority of all government be placed upon his shoulders. This one who would come, as we saw last week, would provide wonderful counsel. But he isn't simply just giving wonderful counsel. He's not simply just showing the the wisdom of his words. No, there is power in this one who would come. Mighty power. He would be the all-powerful one. And why? Why is this necessary? Well, the promised one is actually the greatest gift we could ever receive. See, our situation requires one to come and to rescue us. The story of Scripture is the fall of Adam. The story of Scripture is the fall of Adam's race. Placed there in the Old Testament, we see a garden, perfect peace, perfect tranquility, walking with God. That was to be their existence. But because of disobedience, sin enters the world, and with sin comes death. Rescue is needed. And God provides that rescue. He provides that rescue by providing the mighty God, His own Son who would come, the One who is mighty and able. See, that's the point. We ultimately needed God. We needed God to rescue us. And that's exactly what the Father has given in sending His Son. God has come to the rescue. This mighty God is exactly just that. He is God and man. He is a warrior who sympathizes with our weaknesses. We've read about that in the book of Hebrews. Yet this warrior is not one who simply sympathizes with us, but he is one who can actually rescue us. He has the power to deliver. We see this in Jesus' ministry. We see it in places like Matthew chapter 8. We read this in verse 2 where it says, Behold, a leper came to him, And the leper knelt before him saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Look at the confidence and the power of Jesus. But notice, Jesus isn't just all powerful. He's also compassionate. Look at verse 3. It says, And Jesus stretched out his hand, and he touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. What's so touching about that story is the story describes a man who has been covered with leprosy from top to bottom. See, the early phases of that leprosy, he would have been kept outside the camp. 
He would have had to declare himself unclean. He would have had to regularly be presented before the priest who would have kept an eye on him about the growth of this disease in his body. This man would have been outside the region of anyone else. And what does Jesus do? Jesus heals him. But I draw your attention to how Jesus healed him. Jesus touched him. It shows the compassion of Christ. A man who had been without touch, without human contact, God reaches and touches and heals. You know, throughout all the Gospels, we see this kind of display of Jesus' power, power that he is capable of doing anything. After calming the storm in Matthew 8, verse 27, we read, And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this? Even the wind and the sea obey him. Who can do that but God? Or how about after healing the layman? The lame man that came and was brought before Jesus in Luke 5. The people seeing Jesus heal him said, And with amazement, it seized all of them. And they glorified God and they were filled with awe saying, We have seen an extraordinary thing today. The power of God is extraordinary. The power of God, though, coupled with one who sympathizes, one who has compassion. This is the message of the mighty God. This is the God-man, the promised one, the child who would come, who would understand our weaknesses and actually be able to do something about it. This promised child is the mighty God. He's the promised son of man, according to the book of Daniel. He's the victorious one. In Daniel chapter 7, he's described as one who has dominion, and his dominion is everlasting. It shall not pass away, according to Daniel chapter 7, verse 14. He shall reign forever because of his might. Revelation chapter 1 picks up on this when it describes this victorious one, this son of man, the mighty God. It describes him as one clothed in power and majesty, with awe and with terror. This is the Christ who has come. This is the Christ in whom we can trust. This is the Christ in whom sympathizes with our weaknesses. This is the Christ in whom has the power to rescue. Church, the prophets of old saw this day. They longed for this day. This day of the promised one. One who would conquer and defend His people. The hope of this day was viewed as a day of great relief. A day of of great satisfaction. A day of great comfort. A day that would come of perfect justice and perfect peace. And that is exactly what the prophet Isaiah foretells. That when the child comes, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God would provide just that. Therefore, what's the appropriate response to this one who's come, this mighty God? Is it not that the psalmist says in Psalm 34 that we should bless the Lord at all times? Even in the difficult times, even in the most problematic situations, knowing He is the mighty God, knowing that He can provide for us because there's nothing He cannot do, should not praise be upon our lips at all times? As the psalmist says, 
but not just that of the church. The world should stand in awe of Him. The psalmist in Psalm 38, verse 8 says, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. Why? Because He is, in fact, the mighty God. It really forces us to ask the question, Do I know this mighty God? Do I really know Him? Am I walking with Him? Am I trusting Him? Am I living in His power? Am I resting in who He is? And what He has accomplished. Are you singing His praises? Are you honoring His name? For He is the mighty God. And as the mighty God, He came to save. He came to save and came to protect. This mighty God is actually able to save us completely. The writer there of Hebrews 7 says, He is able to save to the utmost. There is nothing He cannot do. He saves us from all of our enemies, according to Scripture. In church, we have many. We have many enemies. We live in a time of war. We live in a time where it seems there is no peace, and yet we're told that this mighty God, He provides for us. He provides victory from all of our enemies. What are our enemies? According to Scripture, our enemies are included in things like the world. According to John chapter 6, verse 33, and we've heard this already, he said, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. What good news that is to us as we live in a world of, of, of such prob- problems and, and concerns and worries. What about the enemy of the flesh? The flesh that battles our spirit. The flesh that constantly is working against us. Paul writes in Galatians chapter 5, verse 24, that those who belong to Christ Jesus have been crucified in the flesh with its passions and desires because of Christ. As Christ was crucified, so have our desires And passions have been crucified with Him. We have victory because of Him, not only in the world, but even in the flesh, in ourselves, in our battles spiritually. What about the great enemy, the devil? Do we not have victory there? Right after the fall of Adam and Eve, there's an immediate promise of the victory that this mighty God provides. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, we read the seed of the woman would be crushed by the head of the serpent. Victory, again, is found in the mighty God. And what about that last enemy? Death. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we read, For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Just this weekend, I had to bury a relative of our family. And as I stood with the family, I was able to encourage them in the hope of the resurrection. In John chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He says this because He has overcome death. He has defeated death. He is the mighty God. Not even death itself can hold Him back. And church, good news. 
That means all of our enemies have been destroyed in Him. He is the mighty God. And yet there is still more He saves us from. He ultimately saves us from the wrath of God itself. Paul in Galatians chapter 3 writes, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hanged on a tree. The Apostle Paul picks this up again in Romans chapter 3 when he writes, Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation for his, by His blood to be received by faith, this was to show God's righteousness. Because of His divine forbearance, He has passed over former sins. It is to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Just and the justifier. Note that phrase. What that's saying is because of sin, God's wrath must punish sin. Because of Jesus, our sin has met God's wrath in Christ on the cross. God has perfectly protected us in Christ, the mighty God who came to save and saves us completely. Jesus is in fact our protection. Jesus is in fact our salvation. This mighty God saves us, church, to the utmost. Every enemy has been defeated and every aspect of our salvation is complete in Him. But again, we're asked the question, Have you experienced His victory? Are you experiencing it now? The victory He provides from all your enemies. This isn't something yet just future, but present. Something you can have in the person and work of Jesus every day of your life. Victory that He has made possible. A victory from His power. And this provision, this provision of the mighty God, this provision who provides protection also provides peace. Church, it says here in the Scriptures that we have ultimately a mighty God. And as a mighty God, He is one who brings peace to His people. We've learned this through the phrase uh, peace through strength. We've heard it on television. We've heard it through politicians. Peace through strength. It's simply this, the belief of a strong military is the best protection against war. If you would have peace, you must have strength. In his farewell address as president on January 17th, 1961, Dwight D. Eisenhower said it this way, he said, a vital element in keeping peace is our military establishment. Our arms must be might, ready for instant action, so that no potential aggressor may be tempted to risk at his own destruction. The idea is that there is peace through strength. And because of the mighty God, there is peace. Peace through His strength. The promised one, the mighty God, who destroys all of our and His enemies, provides this peace. Arresting a tranquility that only He can provide. 
Philippians chapter 4, verse 7, he says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, a peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. A peace. A peace of God. Because he gives it through his strength. Church's peace comes with true rest. In Exodus chapter 33, verse 14, he says, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. A rest that only God could provide to a people who had been rescued from slavery. In Psalm chapter 4, verse 8, he says, In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O God, make me dwell in safety. Church, even in the midst of the storms of this world, we can have peace. We can lay our head on the pillow and know who is in charge. And the one who reigns is the mighty God. And he is the protector of his people. Again, in John chapter 16, verse 33, he says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Peace. Peace is yours because of the victory Christ has provided. Or how about Isaiah 30, verse 15, where he says, In returning and rest, you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. See, our strength is rooted in His strength. Our victory is rooted in His victory. It's in returning to Him. It's in resting in Him that we are saved. It's not in working things up by our own might, but trusting in Him, the the mighty God, to save, to rescue, to heal, to protect. And in this, we can rest in Him. In Him, we can be quiet. We don't have to defend ourselves. He is the mighty God. He defends His people. Church, just for a moment, bask in the joy that this means. The joy for you in your life and in your struggles and the conflicts that you face. The hardships and the difficulties that surround you every day to know that there is the mighty God who has come to your rescue. He is your provider and He is your peace giver. This is good news. And therefore, I think with the psalmist, we should sing. We should sing unto the Lord a new song. Why? Because he has done marvelous things. goes on to say in Psalm 89, his right hand and his holy arm have gotten him the victory. His power has brought forth victory. His power has brought forth our deliverance. His power has offered us peace. But are you resting? Are you resting in the powerful God? The mighty God? The one who has provided all things? The one who truly provides peace? Church, remember the provision of the mighty God. Remember all that He provides and remember the protection and peace that He offers. 
This mighty God is the one who has come to save us, not just partly, but completely. He didn't just build half the bridge. He built the entire bridge. And he doesn't just leave it up to us. He carries us across the bridge in his strength and in his power. This is the good news of the gospel, that we have been rescued completely. But are we resting? Are we experiencing the peace he provides? There's an old writer by the name of Thomas Boston, an old Presbyterian from the land of Scotland. And he writes these words in the idea of the provision of the mighty God. He says, these words speak comfort to the church. These words speak comfort to every believer. Whatever be your wants, he is able to supply them. Whatever be your needs or weaknesses, there is might enough in him. Be your case never so hopeless. It is never without the reach of his help. Let believers learn to rejoice in their prince, their head, their savior, in whom they are complete. Church, we have been given the greatest help. We have been given the mighty God. And this is ours. But we must partake by faith. A faith given to us in Christ. A faith which ultimately means about resting upon Him alone for our salvation. Trusting and being satisfied in the work He has done. My prayer as a church through this Christmas season is that we would rest in Christ. That we would experience the peace that He provides even despite all of the noise outside. That we would truly see that He is a mighty God who provides for His people. And we would be satisfied. Jesus says in John 14, verse 27, Peace I leave you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled Neither let them be afraid. This is the words of the mighty God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before you, Lord, we are so thankful for the assurance we have in your Son. The mighty God, the one who came as a child, who walked amongst us, who lived, who died, and who showed his strength, even defeating death. God, may we experience the peace he provides. And may we truly rest in him alone. We pray this now in Jesus' name. God's people said. This has been a podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Trenton, Michigan. For more information, please visit us online at fpchurch.com.